Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I'm joined again today by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. So we got a question that came in. Uh, we have uh, our listeners and readers, I guess they like to ask questions. So we got another one. They said, hey, could you talk about this idea of wind and waves of doctrine and what that means and what it looks like? How do, how do we avoid winds and waves? And... Um, and what does that verse mean that talks about them? So I'll read you the verse. It comes from Ephesians chapter four. And I really like this section. So I'm going to read starting in verse 11 all the way down to verse 16, because I think a lot of times this is, you know, it's one of these Pauline run on sentences, but it's like so rich. Each of these statements could be broken down and talked about. And maybe that's what we need to do at some point, um, maybe in church or whatever. But I think that uh, the whole section always people focus on on one or two parts of it, but the whole thing needs to be read together. So, I'm going to read it uh, 11 through 16, Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's the verse we're talking about, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the question that was presented and which I'd like to discuss with you is, you know, what is a wind of doctrine and a wave of doctrine? And what are some examples of them? So, so first of all, what is it? Uh, and then how do you recognize them when they come for what they are? And then finally, how do we avoid getting caught up in them? So let's begin by just talking about what wind and waves do, right? So Paul's drawing a word picture for a reason, because, you know, it's, it's a rich picture. And what is a picture? It's a wind and waves. Now, what do wind and waves do? Well, wind on the one hand, I think that one of the characteristics of wind and waves is that they're temporary, right? So a wave comes for a moment and then it dissipates. In the same way, wind blows through and then keeps going. It's gone. So it's there, it comes, and it's there for a moment. And you feel it, it causes an impact, but it doesn't last. So that's kind of the characteristic of wind and waves. But there's another part of that too, which is that, okay, wind can be very destructive. Uh, wind can, uh, you know, we, we live, uh, not really us in Colorado, but to the east of us in Tornado Alley, right? You've got these tornadoes that are, what is that? It's just high-powered winds that rip off roofs of houses, pick up cars, they throw things. You can, it can even kill people, right? I mean, they can do a lot of destruction with the wind. Um, uh, another thing that waves can do is like, on the one hand, you know, if you're just wading out into the ocean, you can get these waves and they kind of lift you up and then put you back down. And it's not a big deal. It's just kind of a blip. But then there can also be tsunamis that, you know, we had that one in Southeast Asia, right? Killed 200 and something thousand people. And we have, um, you know, tsunamis that can cause a ton of destruction. And so, 
so on the one hand, these are things that are temporary, but they make an impact. You feel them. Um, they can also carry you away. Like with a wave, you know, he talks about children. With, with waves, you, a wave can take, knock a child off its feet. There's a good picture for us. Disorient you, and it can drag you under. It can carry you away to a place where you never intended to go um, and a place where maybe, you know, that can be really harmful for you. So that's the idea of wind and waves and doctrine. So temporary, but they can also cause destruction. They move you. They, um, they can cause problems. And so I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk about what are some winds and waves of doctrine that have blown through the church at different times. Maybe we're thinking in more recent history, but I don't know if we're, we're going to point any out, but I would just encourage our listeners as we're talking about winds and waves of doctrines, Think about things that are going on right now in the church that we might look back on in a few years' time, and we might think about them differently, you know, than we than we do now. So let, let's talk about what are some winds and waves that have blown through the church at different times, and now we look at them and we say, okay, that was a temporary thing, and maybe it did cause an impact. So what do you think? Just before we look at that, I think it is important to uh, for our listeners to know that there's a difference between methodologies and winds of doctrine. So the church has done church differently through the years. They they have done the gospel. You know, the gospel message has not changed, but the method delivery, the methodologies, liturgies, these kind of things. You know, those those change through through the ages, but essentially what shouldn't change is the gospel message. And I think, you know, when we talk about winds of doctrine and winds of these, that many times what gets distorted is the, you know, essentially the gospel message. And I think there have been some, you know, destructive, you know, winds, uh, wind, waves and winds of doctrine that have come through the church that have, you know, have distorted that central message and got people away from, you know, the cross of Christ and away from the gospel message of grace alone, you know, and, um, and those kind of things that we hold dear to. So, I mean, some examples, I mean, I don't know. I, I grew up in kind of when the whole, you know, laughing in the spirit, kind of barking in the spirit kind of thing was big. You know, you had the gold dust coming down. You had people with gold earrings. Um, the gold, and gold fillings. fillings. Not earrings, yeah. A lot of people have gold earrings. But <laughs> uh, gold fillings. Um, these kind of things that kind of were evidences, so to speak, of the movement of God within a church. And um, I'm not sure that I can point to a lot of like, you know, uh, that it had really a, a necessarily a good effect, you know, in, 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 as Paul says there in that scripture, making mature Christians, uh, bringing us to the fullness of Christ in many ways, it was in, in as it's childish in some, in, in, you know, like pointing towards these things that are the move of the spirit and getting people away from the essentials of the gospel, um, those are kind of things that, that, and some of that stuff's still happening today in a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of church circles, uh, this kind of stuff where it's people desire that tangible, you know, they want to see the spirit of God moving, you know, so if that means that there's, you know, 
a ghost that appears in the, the sanctuary or suddenly gold dust is coming from the ceiling or, oh, suddenly somebody miraculously has gold fillings. My question is, if God can give you gold fillings, can't he just fix your teeth? Because yeah. I'd rather have my teeth fixed than have gold fillings, you know? I mean, take right, the gold like, out and sell it, maybe. Put some duct tape on something as opposed to actually fixing exactly. it. Exactly. Like, I, I just didn't see necessarily the, the you know, the purpose of all that kind of stuff. But those are some of the ones that come come to my mind, you know? I mean, of course, we, we talk a little bit about, you know, that the church went through this whole satanic kind of kick back in the days, you know, and kind of probably kicked off by Charles Manson and his helter-skelter kind of thing and all the back uh, backward masking of you know of, of records if you play records backwards they're going to have satanic messages and i think you know of course a lot of these bands they played into that you know because they knew you know they could get a lot more a lot more people listening to their music if they could be controversial. It's like free publicity. Easy, yeah, of course. I mean, KISS was a famous band in the 70s, 80s. You know, I there was an acronym for Kids in Satan's Service or, uh, you know, those kind of those kind of things back in those days. And I don't know if that was necessarily a, a wind or a wave of, of doctrine, but it was this kind of demon behind every rock kind of thing, uh, kind of putting people in fear uh, that they could be taken away by Satan at, at any moment if, you know, they are listening, you know, uh, to this kind of music or they get caught listening to it or whatever. You know, that was kind of the fear, kind of something that was a bit tangible, I think, especially yeah. when in the years I grew up in the 80s and and a lot of Christian bands that were were in classified in that category of music with, you know, kind of metal bands. They were very, very much sidelined by the church, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, almost said to be satanic, you know? Yeah. I, I remember a big one that went through was the whole Y2K scare. And I know that wasn't just unique to the church, but there were, you know, there was a way in which some parts of, Christianity really like latched onto it. They're really afraid. They have conferences. They sell like kits for how to prepare. My favorite is uh, when you're preparing uh, for the end of the world by storing up like canned food in your garage and guns so that you can shoot your neighbors when they get hungry, which it just didn't seem to be the way of Jesus to me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but it just seems to be like mowing down your neighbors because they're hungry. Um, doesn't seem very following Jesus, you know, like he like lays down his life and we're like uh, laying down other people, yeah. <laughs> laying out other people on our driveway because they want our rice. So yeah. And the Y2K thing just, it seemed to be like, um, man, people really, it, whatever it is that people get like really freaked out about, sometimes there can be like a, a wind or a wave of doctrine that comes through. I'm not sure if it's really doctrine, but it definitely is tangential, right? It takes people's attention away from, from, um, from the Lord and from having trust in the Lord. I mean, what you see is that you see in the New Testament, a bunch of people who lived in a time which was really turbulent, where they were actually getting killed. And the message constantly was, Christ is victorious. In him, you are a victor. Therefore, you have nothing to be afraid of in death, in life or death. And the things, you know, you are more than conquerors, which means that the worst things that could ever happen to you in life, in Christ, they're actually the best things that can happen to you. If you get persecuted, 
you're sharing in his sufferings. He's going to use that persecution to form you and to make your witness even stronger. If, if your life gets taken from you, then that actually brings you into the presence of God. So therefore, you have nothing to fear. The worst things that anyone can do to you are actually the best things that can happen to you. Therefore, don't live in fear. And um, and yet, so often, I think that we we get caught up in it. Of course, you know, fear is a incredible marketing tool, right? So, so that's what, like you're saying with the Satanism, I read a thing a few years ago that said, you know, there's this big scare in, in the mass media and, and stuff in the eighties about Satanism. And while it wasn't unfounded, there was some reality to it. There's some, some substance at the same time, it was, uh, exaggerated. And, um, and so, and, you know, some people, like you said, I, I remember Marilyn Manson when I was growing up in the 90s, and, you know, it was like, he just played right into it as like free publicity, free marketing. You know, parents hate it. That means that kids will be intrigued by it. Anything that is forbidden, of course, that's our human nature, right? It's, you tell me I can't do something, right? You tell me there's a thousand trees in the Garden of Eden that I can eat from, and there's one tree in particular that's a tree of life, but don't eat from that other tree because it'll kill you. And what do they do? They're hanging out around that tree because they're intrigued by it. That's our human nature. And um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think it's pretty interesting. Another one, of course, you mentioned the Toronto Blessing and that whole thing. Back in the what was that early nineties? Must have been early nineties, yeah. Because I I was living in Luxembourg at the time, mm-hmm. and I was I've been leading worship at this little Bible study and attending this French English. The guy preached in English and he preached in French in the same sermon. He would just start preaching in English and then he'd switch to French and then he'd switch yeah. to English. Wow. And I remember this lady telling me about what was going on. I, I mean, it was like, she says, I used to be a Penty in her British accent, a Pentecostal, until all this stuff started to die. I'm like, I had no clue what was going on until I finally moved back and I'd, I, I started to hear about what, uh, this weirdness that was happening up in Toronto. Yeah, and so I mean, I never was I never was privy to it. Like when I started walking with the Lord, it was kind of after that stuff was all done. But people were still talking about it, you know. And so, so I found out about it. I I mean, I saw some of it. It was still going on at that time, like on TV. They had the televangelists in the eighties and nineties, and then like they were always, you know, you'd see some people barking in the spirit, laughing in the spirit, and then and but you know, like a wave or a wind, it's it's kind of gone now. It's dissipated. It's moved on. Now there are other things. But, um, and, and there's maybe a few that we could mention even now that are really more recent. Like some of the stuff with uh, what's called grave sucking, where some people would like go lay on the graves of, of people who had an anointing and try to absorb it from the ground. So, um, you know, there, there's other things that, that happen. There are always these wind and waves. So I guess the question is, how do we recognize them? Like, how do you know that something is just a wave or wind that is going to pass through? Um, and how do you recognize it like before, before like getting carried away in it and then having to realize 20 years later that, oops, that was just a wind or wave of doctrine? Yeah, I think that's a difficult question because a lot of these things – uh, we get caught up in because we are excited about God doing something in our church. And, you know, 
but at some point, you know, we have to ask questions. Where is this taking us? And is it bringing us, you know, as you mentioned that passage, Paul's, that Paul says the fullness of Christ. Is this bringing us to the fullness of Christ? Not, not the fullness of our experience, uh, but the fullness of Christ. Is it drawing us closer uh, to Jesus? Is it making our witness stronger? Are we becoming more mature as as Christians or is this kind of something that's childlike? Uh, you know, I think those are some of the questions that would be raised in my mind. You know, I think many times because because of things like the Toronto blessing and because of those kind of things, some churches like slam the door on anything that might be emotional, anything that might be out of the norm or outside of their liturgy or outside, you know, anybody shows any kind of, you know, excitement about anything. It's like, no, we don't do that. You know, that's leading you astray from the things of the Lord, you know, reaction, pendulum swing. Oh yeah. Just swinging back and forth, you know, and Satan loves to keep us at one extreme or the other, you know, cold dead religion or complete, you know, utter craziness. It's almost almost like like Paul talks about that in his letter to the Thessalonians in the fifth chapter, where he says, hey, don't despise prophecies. Why would he say that? Well, apparently some people did despise prophecies. What would cause them to despise prophecies? Well, then he says, test all things and hold fast to that which is good. In other words, some people had come in and maybe they had been manipulative with prophecies. Maybe they had... um, you know, claimed things that turned out to not be true, or they were trying to, you know, basically use the trump card of saying, God told me this, so therefore you have to do it to back up or legitimize anything they wanted to say. And then people were burned by it. And then they said, oh, well, yeah, we don't do prophecies around here. And Paul said, hey, don't don't despise prophecy. Just test all things, man. Hold fast to that which is good. I, I think you make a good point there about the pendulum swing. We, we don't want to live in that place, you know? Yeah, we don't want to be close to... Yeah, to God is bigger than our our thoughts and God God is still speaking today. He's he's still speaking directly to his church and he does speak, you know, as we believe that the 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 gifts of the spirit is still for today. God is still moving in those. So he can bring a word of knowledge. He can bring a word of prophecy if he so chooses to um, you know, and speak directly into people's lives that way. We certainly never want to do that. But as you said, we're given tools for that. We're given ways to understand and know. We, you know, test all things. If this is not bringing to maturity that the believer, not bringing us to the fullness of Christ, not it's taking away, it's adding to the gospel, you know, or those kind of things. Or it's taking our focus away. What's essential, you know, doctrines in the Scripture, Paul, that has been laid out for us, uh, you know, in the New Testament, then we certainly need to question, is this something from the Lord, you know? And I think with, you know, over the, the, especially this last decade, I think the rise of apostles, new apostles, the rise of these prophets that have, you know, this is a, a destructive wave and destructive wind that has come into the church because they have, by their own admission, brought new revelation from the Lord that is on par with or even supersedes Scripture. Well, what it, you were telling me about one guy the other day claimed that he has... Oh, he a, has John chapter 22. Wow. Uh, but uh, he was taken up to heaven and God gave him John chapter 22. He's the, he's the writer of the 
the, the translator of the Passion Bible. Right. And uh, God gave him chapter 22, but he's not allowed to release it yet because we are not ready for it. But he has John chapter 22. Right. So these are like things that we, yeah. it's, it's these things where you like laugh about this. It's like, it's laughable on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's terribly sad. Like you, you, you want to laugh, but you also can't help but like cry because you know that this is a wind, it's a wave, it's just, it's going to pass. It's just blowing through, but some people are going to get carried away by this and it's going to cause destruction. And that's, that's unfortunate and it's sad. It's um, not, I don't even want to say unfortunate. I want to say it's like, it's something that we mourn over, but and we'll talk just in a second about how do we, how do we prevent that? Like, how do we notice it and before it's too late? I think another big one, you know, that was more recent, like, in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years was, um, you know, people visiting heaven and coming back and writing a book about it. It seemed like uh, everybody, you know, could get a book contract about their book about the time they went to heaven, even though Paul went to heaven and he said, I saw things that are unspeakable and basically it would be wrong for me to speak about them. If I did, I wouldn't even have the words to describe it. So, uh, and yet here we are writing books, right? So it seems to me that was another wind and wave and it's kind of past and, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of this is FOMO, you know. It's a word that's become part of our vernacular, our fear of missing out. I think Christians are afraid they're missing out on something that the Lord wants to do, you know. And that I don't think in itself that's a bad desire. We we want to see the Lord moving. We believe that God is moving. We desire that God moves here in our city, in mm-hmm. our nation. We we want to see people saved. We want to see God do supernatural things. We want to see God heal people. We want to see God speak into people's lives, but not to the, you know, to the detriment of the gospel that was given to us by yeah. God's own words that we should not stray from that you know we and i think that's what's happening when people start to travel out to these things and get away as you said what what is the waves many times do it takes us away from the sure footing of the shore and it washes us away and uh, that I think is the danger with some of these waves is that we get carried away from the essential footing that we should be on that is the the cross of Christ you Mm. know yeah and you know one thing that I so this is a long way around of getting to my point but I'll try and make it quick is just this one of the things I notice about myself as I as I grew into my own as a Bible teacher, preacher, is that I I look back at some of my earlier messages and I realize I was doing something that I now have learned not to do. And that is that I was assuming the gospel, assuming that everybody knew it and they didn't need to hear it again, right? They all know it anyway, so why would I repeat it? Instead, what I'll do is I'll focus on giving people interesting little tidbits, like little facts that they wouldn't have known otherwise. Like, oh, did you know about this controversy about this verse? And some Christians think this and some Christians think that. And here's why I agree with these guys and not those guys. And that's really like totally not what the passage, for example, was about, but I would focus on the one controversy that had nothing to do with the main point of the text because I thought that people needed to be, I don't know, titillated by it. You know, I know that there's a desire for that. People want to have their ears itched is what the Bible says. But the fact is that uh, 
one of the things I came to learn is that it's not just Christians who, or it's not just non-Christians who need to hear the gospel and then move on to the more deeper stuff. Uh, it's Christians also need to hear the gospel over and over again because the gospel is not only the power to save us, it's God's means by which he sanctifies us. It is the means by which he motivates us to do things. If you look at Paul's teaching, he always says in his letters, like, here's the gospel and here's what the gospel then, how it affects your marriage, how it affects your work life, how it affects your relationships with others, etc. And so, um, so all that to say, I think that what's behind a lot of this is, number one, the gospel is assumed. And then the second part is that they think, well, since people already know what the gospel is, well, now what do we do with them? Well, we, we got to give them like, we've given them the basics. Now let's give them the deep stuff, you know, but the deep stuff, I, I heard Tim Keller say this one time and it was, I, it so resonated with me when people start talking about the deep stuff oftentimes what they're talking about is not really deep stuff at all. It's, it's controversies that Christians have among themselves over the interpretation of secondary doctrines. And so um, that's not really deep. And what Tim says there, he says, there is nothing deeper than the gospel. It is a, you know, um, it's a well that can never be exhausted. And uh, I think he's absolutely right. And, and what he always says is the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith, the starting point. It is the A to Z or Z if you're mm-hmm. from Britain or South Africa or Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it. I totally yeah. agree. I, and, and I, you know, I just add to that just from a worship leader's perspective is that many people say we're going to go into deeper worship. Or we're going to go, you know, we're going to go here or go there with, with, you know, not realizing that worship of God Almighty is the destination. It is a rival. You're not going someplace else. Worship is the activity of heaven. It is where we're going to be in the presence of God worshiping him. We're not, it's not an elevator to some other higher experience. And true deep worship is when we finally come to realize who God is and who we are in light of him and what he has done for us. And when those things click, that's when people really have deep, you know, in quotes, worship experiences when they finally realize who they are in light of who God truly is. And they make that connection in their mind and they, they're they just completely submitted to who he is and what he wants to do through their lives. That is a deep worship experience, mm. you know, and, and it's a rival. When we come to church and on a Sunday morning or wherever, when you're worshiping your car, it's not... You know, it's not that God's going to take you someplace. You're just in his presence. It is a rival. That's the destination to be in the presence of God at his feet and worshiping him. And we don't need to add to that. We don't need to add any of this other stuff, you know, to that. Mm. Yeah. And it reminds me, the verse that always comes to my mind. So, so our, our first question was, what is it? Second question is, how do we recognize it? And third question is, how do we avoid getting caught up in these things. Um, I think we've answered the first one. We're working on the second and third one, but let me just remind you of this verse that I immediately comes to my mind is Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter. So it's Jude verse three. Paul says this, beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once 
for all delivered to the saints. And I think that's important to remember that that is what we have. It's what we're to contend for is the faith once and all delivered to the saints. Um, you know, one of our, one of our um, mentors, John Corson, has this pithy saying where he says, you know, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. That's the faith delivered to the saints. Uh, we're not looking for new things. We're not looking for novelty. We're looking to um, bathe in this, uh, this amazing truth of who God is and what he has done. And it would, a lifetime on earth is not enough to fully exhaust understanding on the one hand, but living out, right? It's one hand, like what we've been talking about in our current series of church is that it's one thing to know about the resurrection. It's another thing to live as Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 11, it's another th- or verse 10, it's another thing to live in the power of the resurrection. And that, that, is, um, that takes more than we have enough time for in this lifetime, to live out the gospel and to be a witness for Jesus. I think that we need to not be looking for you know, the next titillating thing. Uh, that rather, we're, we want to be dialed in on, on the reality. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. I remember being at a conference once and a, a preacher got up to preach and he said, you know, if we would just do what was already been preached, I, would sh- I wouldn't have to preach again, you know, because, and he was true. It has been amazing, some amazing teaching, but we, we in many ways, we, we haven't got the simple things down yet. Yet we're looking for, you know, <laughs> some other experiences. Yet we just, the simple things of the gospel that trip us up every single day, you know, those are things we should be focusing on, you know. And yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, Martin Luther has this quote where he says, I preach the gospel, or I need to be reminded of the gospel every day because every day I forget, or something like yeah. something along those lines. But it, Or maybe it's every Sunday I preach the gospel because... We, we need to be reminded of it. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the songs we love singing here at church is that uh, nailed to the cross in the opening lines, when I stand accused by my regrets. and I preach the gospel the, to myself. Yeah, and the devil roars his empty threats. I preach the gospel to myself. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole key, the whole key to it. Yeah, so, okay, let's just answer these questions. How do we recognize them, first of all, and then how do we avoid getting caught up in winds and waves? Um, well, initially, I, I think we recognize it uh, because it starts to take us away from our vision that God has for the church. And, you know, many times it, it makes important things that are not not important in the Bible. It starts to magnify things that are are not magnified in Scripture. Mm. Um, I think that's one way. A good example of that. I often get this question on the radio, why doesn't the Bible tell us more about angels? Like they'll say, okay, what are all the things the Bible says about angels and how come the Bible doesn't tell us more? Or maybe it's not angels, maybe it's some other topic. Why doesn't the Bible tell us more about this? I would bring us back to Peter's letter where he says that in the scriptures, we have everything we need for life and godliness, which means that if God didn't tell us a whole bunch of things about angels, maybe it's because he doesn't want to spend a whole bunch of time worrying about the angels, right? He's got more important things for us to be, mm-hmm. uh, be concerned with. And um, if he didn't tell us about them, maybe it's because that's not what he wants us to be worried about. 
you know? E- even like with what exactly is heaven like? Well, it's going to be awesome. And when you get there, it'll be better than you ever thought. But God, God has, you know, a purpose and a calling and things that he wants you to be focused on now. And I think that's a good point. Like we want to have the emphases in us and in our hearts and minds that God has given us in his word. And if we're reflecting those, that's a good way to notice when something is so tangential, takes us away from, from what the scripture is telling us. That's a good way to recognize it. Yeah. And what were Jesus' last words? You know, I, you know, he said, go out into all the world, baptizing them in my name, you know, and preach the gospel and baptize people in my name. And you're like, well, let's just get that right. And then let's see what happens after that. I mean, those were the Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascended. Like, this is what I would like you to do. And all this other stuff is peripheral. So if we get away from that particular point, then I think that's one way of seeing you know that that this might be a wave, this might be a wind that we need to we need to avoid. You know, or somehow <laughs> get off of it in, in many ways. You know. Yeah. So okay, how do we avoid getting caught up in them? I guess we've answered that. So yeah. All right. Hey. Well, thanks for listening today. Thanks, Mike, for joining the discussion. And uh, join us next time. Hey, if you haven't done so yet, I'd love it if you go over to the uh, if you use the Apple podcast app give us a five-star review and also write in a, a written uh rate or written review so i go so give us a five-star rating and then write a written review that helps boost us in the algorithm helps people find this content and hopefully we're answering some questions that are going to be helpful for people and so we'd love it if you'd share this with people as things that we talk about come up in your conversations and of course you can always go to the written blog which is nickkady.org n-i-c-k-c-a-d-y dot o-r-g and that is the Theology for the People blog and you can subscribe to that have it delivered to your inbox whenever anything new is posted Um, and we have different content on both sites so I encourage you to do both and thanks for listening God bless you all